0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 506 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you been up to this week? I have been enjoying the lovely weather, finally, sunshine in Sydney, so I was Lapping it up. I took Rocky, my cat, for a walk, and I just hope that the warm weather is here to stay. I also went to the book launch of Joe Riccioni. Her latest novel is called The Branded, and she has an interesting story because she started out as a literary fiction author but just felt compelled to move into young adult fantasy writing. Her book was launched by the wonderful Michelle Barraclough, who, of course, is one of our presenters here at Australian Writers' Centre. She created the fantastic course Your Author website and is also a novelist herself. She's absolutely wonderful. Anyway, I'm going to find out more from Jo about why she decided to move from literary fiction to young adult writing and the challenges and opportunities that has presented to her. And so I'm going to come back to you on that one. I also met someone this week who is adapting a book into a play. Now, obviously, those are two really different forms of writing so it's a big challenge while both a play and a novel use dialogue and action to you know push the story and the narrative forward in a play you tend to strip away the description you have to leave empty spaces for the actors and the director and the set to bring you know the set designer to bring their own creativity to the text but you still have to tell the story It made me think that it could be a great exercise with your own writing. So if you're struggling with a scene or a section of dialogue is feeling clunky, try writing it as a play instead. Give it a go. It will force you, just as an exercise, right? It'll force you to focus on the dialogue or the subtext, you know, to forget about all the descriptions or whatever else is distracting you and just focus on those key elements. Or imagine it. Like a TV show with your favourite actors in the role. How would they perform those characters? How would they move and what would they say? It could be a fun exercise and it can help you to see your story in a different way perhaps, especially if you're struggling with it. If you're not struggling with it, don't worry. Go go for it. Keep going. Keep the momentum going. But if you're kind of stuck, it might be a good exercise for you. Let me know if you try it and if it works. Now, this week's giveaway that I have for you is... Oh, Craig Sylvie. The book is Runt. It's a heartwarming, funny, beautifully told story for readers of all ages. And of course, Craig um, is the author of Jasper Jones and Honeybee. He's been on the podcast before. Here's a quick synopsis of the book, Runt. Annie Shearer lives in the country town of Ups and Downs with her best friend, an adopted stray dog called Runt. The two share a very special bond. After years evading capture, Runt is remarkably fast and agile, perfect for herding runaway sheep. But when a greedy local landowner puts her family's home at risk, Annie directs Runt's extraordinary talents towards a different pursuit winning the Agility Course Grand Championship at the lucrative Crumpets Dog Show in London. However, there is a curious catch. Runt will only obey Annie's commands if nobody else is watching. With all eyes on them, Annie and Runt must beat the odds and the fastest dogs in the world to save her farm. Runt is a heartwarming, hilarious tale of kindness, friendship, hurdles, hoops, tunnels, seesaws, being yourself and bringing out the best in others. So entries close on 24th October. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win and follow the instructions for your chance to win one of three copies of Runt by Craig Sylvie. And that's my cat in the background um, expressing his excitement about Runt by Craig Sylvie. So that's writercenter.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are, because the word of the week this week is Opsimath, O-P-S-I-M-A-T-H, Opsimath. An Opsimath is someone who acquires learning late in life. I love this word because I believe it's never too late to learn something new. So if you've recently decided to take up writing or music or art or whatever, I want you to proudly declare that you're and Opsimath. And that was the word of the week. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor, giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Now let's move on to our writer in residence and make sure you stay tuned after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. Solari Gentle's latest book is The Woman in the Library. She is also the author of the award winning and best selling Roland Sinclair Mysteries, the Greek mythology adventure series, the Hero Trilogy, and she won the Best Crime Award at the Ned Kelly Awards for Crossing the Lines. Let's have a chat to Solari Gentle. Thank you so much for joining us today, Solari. Congratulations on your latest book, The Woman in the Library. Wow! Wow! <laughs> on so many levels. For people who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? Uh, yeah, it's look, it's it's an unusual
1: book in that it has a a kind of an odd structure. It's really a story within a story, folded yeah. into the pages of a correspondence. So um, one facet of the story uh, is is the is the relationship between Leo. And Hannah. The book opens with a letter from Leo to Hannah. He's a he's an aspirant author who lives in uh, Boston. Hannah is an established Australian author. He's an admirer and a fan. And in the beginning, he's everything any writer could hopeful in a researcher he's admiring he's friendly he's helpful uh, but as the novel progresses and the reader sees more of Leo's letters and they do see one letter at the end of each chapter they come to realize that there's something a little dark about Leo um, that for one thing he seems to know an awful lot about murder mm. The other, now, couple, sorry no uh, no please go
0: please go on
1: The other facet of the novel is, of course, the story that Hannah herself is writing in response to the advice she receives from Leo, Uh, and that story is centered uh, around a young Australian writer called Winifred Freddie, who is in Boston to write her very worthy first novel, and she happens to be sitting in the Boston Public Library at a table with three strangers when a ragged scream rings out uh, through the reading room, and and everybody stops everything because they know that something terrible has happened. But when a search is conducted, there's nothing. There's no body. There's no reason for the screen. It's almost as if it came from nowhere and disappeared into nowhere. And that's the, the beginning of the mystery that Hannah is writing.
0: It is so clever, the way that you instructed structured this, the idea itself. How in the world did you come up with this idea?
1: Oh, look, that's, that's a kind of a an interesting story. I was writing another book entirely, and that book was also based in America. And I, of course, hadn't been to America in decades, and uh, I'd never been to Boston. But I did have a friend of mine, an American writer, who was in Boston at the time working on his novel. And so I wrote to him um, and um, I asked Larry if it would be okay if I picked his brain while he was there. And of course, um, in typical American style uh, and generosity, he was saying, sure, anything I can do to help, happy to do so. Uh, but then I realized very quickly that Larry is a much, much better researcher than I am. So not only did he answer my questions, he started sending me maps and menus and weather reports. And Then he started sending me photographs of the sidewalks so I could see how the snow plows knock the snow up on this against them. And then one day there was a murder about two blocks from where he was staying. And he thought, Solari's a crime writer. She might be really interested in what an American murder scene looks like. And so he took himself off uh, to the murder scene and after the body had been removed and he took footage of it and he sent it to me. So I'm in Australia and I get this email from Larry and I open it and it's footage of a crime scene. And my husband happened to be standing behind me and he said, gosh, I hope Larry's not killing people so he can send you research. (laughs) And uh, I'm 99% sure that he wasn't, but it did strike <laughs> me as, as a really interesting idea for a novel. Um, so I, I, I had to finish the novel. I was writing at the time, so I kind of, I kind of put it away. But I knew that the new novel uh, would start with a letter and it would be addressed, Dear Hannah, and it would be written by Leo. And that's all I knew. Um, wow. I'd-
0: <laughs> I love it! Oh my goodness. Okay, so um, just I'm I'm going to come back to the the structure and the characters and the book, but I just would like to give people some context because you have written many many books. Can you cast your mind back to before you had any novel published? Um, tell us what you were doing at the time and when it was it that you thought, "Oh, I really want to write novels."
1: Oh, okay. Um, I was I was a lawyer, um, and I was working as a lawyer, and I was perfectly content being a lawyer. But I was one of those people that was a serial hobbyist, so I would pick up a hobby and do it really intensely for about six months. It was my life for six <laughs> months, and then after six months, after I'd mastered it, I'd sort of kind of get sick of it and move on to something else. And so, you know, I I have. Um, welded and stained glass. I've made ceramic dolls. I've painted murals. I've built gardens like I was working in Babylon. Um, <laughs> and I can even pregnancy test your cows. <laughs> I had a period where I was going to raise miniature cattle. Um, so, uh, with all of this going on, um, I picked up writing in exactly the same way. I'd sort of finished the welding course. I was looking for something to do and I thought, oh, I'll write a novel. And it was a novel because I, I thought that in, um, in my style I would write a novel and then move on to the next thing. But once I, I started writing, it, uh, it, was, it was like I was breathing properly for the first time in my life. That Wow and I knew very quickly that I wasn't going to stop. That was it. Um, and it, you know, it it embarrasses me that it took me so long to
0: learn how to breathe properly. <laughs> wow. What was the part of it that was so rewarding for you? Why, why, what aspect of writing made you feel like you could breathe properly for the first time? It was just that it
1: felt so natural, like this was what I was supposed to be doing this is what my brain was designed to do this is what all all the the idle daydreams about everything my and I I always had a tendency to look between facts and to look between stories all of that made sense and it seemed like I was actually just doing what I was supposed to have always been doing. It was, it, it just, it, it's really hard to describe. It was just like breathing properly. It felt natural. Um, and it was all those aspects of living in your head, of making things up, of, uh, of the kind of, um, of luxuriating in prose when it suited you and of, you know, trying to, trying to, Manage all these threads uh, so that it turned into something coherent. Every aspect of it was was kind of wondrous, and there was this kind of creative explosion. (laughs) In the beginning, there I was writing books so quickly; Um, it was as if they'd always been there, and I was finally letting them loose. That's incredible. Were you also a big reader at the time? No, not particularly. I was a reader. I've always (laughs) been a reader. Uh, but not a particularly big one. I, I still I still meet people who I'm in awe of with their reading prowess, their ability to read quickly and to mm-hmm. contain the story. I'm a slow reader. Um, I, I enjoy reading. I have always done it, but I would never call myself a particularly um, good reader in that sense. Mm-hmm. I think... In, in some ways, I think the law destroyed me for reading because <laughs> the, law, the law teaches you to look at a paragraph and to hone in on the important bits, which is kind of counter to the way one read, reads a novel. You should luxuriate in every sentence. Um, so it's, you know, it's really hard to turn that off once you've learnt it. Um, and so, yeah, luckily for me, I think reading and writing are different muscles.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, when you were saying you wrote your books fairly quickly as if they were just already there waiting to come out, let's talk about this book. When did the idea form and how long then did you let it brew? Um, well, I guess the idea formed when you got that that yeah. letter from, from Larry. Okay. So, in, in that case then- let me ask, when you decided to put pen to paper for the first time or fingers to keyboard for the first time, how long it did it take then for the first draft?
1: Um it actually that this the draft for this novel was a little bit broken up. So I remember that I began writing it in about December 2019. And of course we all know what happened in the yes. in, 2019. So we were in the middle of bushfires. I was writing it in an evacuation. And then there was all the all the work after the bushfires to try and fix things. And then there was COVID. But I think I actually submitted it. It was still fairly quick. I think I submitted it um, to my agent by June.
0: Oh, that's still very quick, yes,
1: of course. <laughs> um, so, but, but but for me, you know, and, and that was just because it was broken up. It was a real pleasure to write. Um, and when I wrote, when I actually found the time to sit down, it just came out. Um, and it was almost like, I mean, my, my style is almost like discovering the story rather than writing it. It's like it's always there. I'm just unearthing it. It's a bit like an archaeological dig. So... Um, it's always very quick once once I have begun. Um, it just seems to be like the story is there and I'm not actually doing a lot of work making things up. It's just there. <laughs>
0: and, so if it was a book that didn't get broken up by a bushfire or a pandemic and a lockdown and whatever, how long would, normally, would, would a book normally okay. take you to write? I, I normally mm-hmm. give myself 12 to 16
1: weeks. Right, to get a draft that's worthy of sending on to uh, an agent or
0: a publisher. Okay, so then with this, you say that you—it's a process of discovery. So presumably, that means you don't know who you know the you have not unravelled the mystery yet, and it's there waiting <gasps> to come out. Which I think is fascinating that you that it seems to just pour out of you. Now, one of the things that you do in this book <clears throat> is that. Um, it's in the voice of the protagonist at the start of each chapter, and then it ends. I think almost every chapter with a with a letter from Leo to Hannah. And yep. did you decide that from the start? And how did you write that? Did you write it in a linear fashion, or did you write two stories kind of parallel? Well, I'm I'm an extreme panther, so I don't plot at all. <laughs> I've no idea.
1: So I had that had that concept and I had this idea that the book would open with a letter. I had nothing else until I started to write. Um, so, and I do write in a linear form. So I start with the first word of the novel, I ended with the last word of the novel. I never write out of sequence. Um, and so at the end of that first letter, then I was faced with, well, what ha- comes next? And I remember thinking, should it be Hannah's reply? And then I thought, no, Hannah's reply should be the story she's writing. And I, 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 it was at that time that I decided that you'd never hear from Hannah uh, mm. directly, that all you'd see was the story that she wrote in response to, uh, to Leo's letter. And part of, the, part of the reason that I did that was, for me, I think that you really um, can find an author. Truly discover an author in their work. Mm. And that's where you can see the most honest form of themselves. You can see what they love, what they what they dislike, what they value. You can see the kind of things that they admire in ca- in people because it's in the characters that are there for people to admire. You can you can see the things that they worry about, the things that they that you know uh, brings them anguish. So, in some ways. The purest form of Hannah communicating with the reader was, was the story that she was writing in response to Leo. And I was hoping that by the end, because at that time I had no idea how it would go, that by the end of the novel the reader would feel like they knew Hannah a little bit without ever hearing directly from her mm. of what she, how she responded to Leo.
0: So speaking of, um, you know, getting to know the character, for the reader to get to know the characters then, when you say you're an extreme pantser, presumably that applies to your characters as well. Like had you done any characterization of 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 Leo or of of Hannah or do you, or do you discover them too as, you, as they did, appear on the page? Yeah. So I've always
1: thought that, you know, characters don't exist in isolation. They exist as part of a plot. So you know yourself... Um, as a human being the character traits that come to the come to the fore is dependent on the situation Mm -hmm. so in certain circumstances you may be hard-nosed and efficient and in other situations you may be romantic and uh kind of flaky or um and so on so in a way character doesn't exist independently of of the actual story so i allow that to develop organically Mm. as well Uh, because characters change and respond to what's happening around them and what you see of them Um, and the the part of themselves that they show um, is dependent on the on the situation and I I think that's probably why crime fiction is uh, has always been such a popular um, genre because it is it is a story that puts people under real pressure, mortal pressure, where it's Mm -hmm. a life and death situation. And then you see how they, how the characters behave in those situations. Um, And, and so in some ways, I suppose it's a way of getting towards uh, the true metal of a character Mm -hmm. by putting them in mortal danger. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, so this, uh, in answer to your question, the characters develop in much the same way. <laughs> as the plot, it comes from somewhere. I unearth them uh, as I watch them respond to the situations I put them in.
0: But do you hit, try to hit any points like, you know, oh, um, uh, like do you innately follow a three-act structure or do you literally just write? Do you try to hit any particular kind of, Points or moments of conflict, or you know, um, tr- uh, consciously try to increase the stakes, anything like that.
1: Uh, no, no, oh, <laughs> like occasionally, occasionally, if I feel like the the story has slowed, I use that old adage of you know, um, who was it, Elmore Leonard, that says, "Send in when the story slows, send in a guy with a gun." And it'll pick up. So I do, I can do something similar quite often if I think the story is getting bogged uh, or this or slowing down, um, I throw in another body. (laughs) And that, you know, that works quite effectively because all of a sudden it focuses the mind as to, and it focuses my mind as a writer as to explain how it all uh, relates. It gives the the reader a little jump start. (laughs) And, uh, And it also, Gives the characters a little poke and tells them to get get on with it. Um, so it's it's a little bit like that. It's very my process is incredibly organic, um, and i have I have this interesting technique in that I don't just write. I write while I'm watching television.
0: No, no, <laughs> I have never heard that. Ever uh, in my life.
1: Yeah, look, and I suspect there's a few of us who do this, but we don't like to admit it because it looks like we don't care about our writing. We'll just dash off anything while we're watching television. But that's not why we do it. I, I used to be really ashamed of this process <laughs> because I wrote best when I was watching television. Uh, but, you know, this and, and I, I'd be really loath to admit it. Uh, but I was at the emerging writers Festival several years ago and I was on with um, Kylie Ladd so I'm, I'm not sure if you so yeah. Kylie is uh, not only a wonderful writer but she's a cognitive psychologist in her in her real life um, and she actually, gave me an explanation and a justification for this ridiculous process of mine. And she said, no, what, Solari, what's happening um, is that, you know, the creative center of your brain is in your prefrontal cortex. Um, and apparently it's very hard to access the prefrontal cortex directly. So that's why when you lose a word or you lose a name and you're trying to think of it, you can't. But then you go away and do something and it pops into your head. Well, I'm doing that, going away and doing something else and letting 90,000 words pop into my head. <laughs> so, it's, um, so what the, what the uh, television does, and it's always something that's fairly mellow and predictable. So I, I watch a lot of BBC crime, you know, lots of uh, Midsummer Murders and Lewis and so on, which has a very distinct rhythm. Um, and it, it probably occupies about 30% of my brain to watch that. And what it does is it distracts my conscious enough that the subconscious runs riot and writes the novel. And so I, what I expect is that there's something in my subconscious that's plotting everything, making sure that everything wraps up and making sure that all the threads are tied off, but it's just not bothering to tell the poor beleaguered conscious part of my brain unless until absolutely necessary. And so it feels very much to me like everything's just being discovered. Because consciously I'm not aware of of what's what's happening.
0: That's my theory. Of course, I can't prove <laughs> it. <laughs> I find that extraordinary. So, do you have the volume up so that you can hear what's going on, or is it just sort oh, of white noise? No, no, no. I actually follow the story. Oh it's my emer- god! Need to know, and uh, so it's not. Uh, so now, how say- can you fo- no no you need to explain this Sorry, how can you follow the story while watching television like i can understand um following a story and then writing in the commercial breaks or following the story and writing when you know it's a cinematic scene or something like that but uh, at what points are you typing
1: <laughs> well i touch type yes so i
0: don't actually need to st- look at the
1: Sure. Um, and I must look at the screen and the television. So I, I recently, um, I got reading glasses. So mm. I, I had just got to the age where I needed reading glasses. And, you know, the, the optometrist said to me, especially when you're writing for long periods of time, your eyes are getting tired, wear the reading glasses. But I don't. And the reason is I can't wear the reading glasses, which help me see the screen really clearly, and mm. see the television at the same time. Mm. Um, so I must watch both at the same time, the screen and the television. Uh, and because I touch type, I don't need to watch the keyboard. So, so I don't look at it too closely because I'm afraid I'm going to break the magic. And I think that's the thing about, about writers' processes. We, we tell you what we think is happening, but I think there's always a dark part in the centre of every writer's process. That's still magic to us. We're not really a hundred percent sure where these stories come from, um, so we give you a vague idea of what we think is happening. Um, I don't. I don't try to dissect it. I take it as a gift <laughs> and, uh, that that I can actually do this, and it may not. You know, I've written fifteen books this way. Book sixteen might not work. <laughs> How did you discover it? How did I discover? Well, you know, when I started writing my kids my boys were really little um I had a you know like a um a two or three year old and so the whole notion of having this quiet room in which to write just doesn't exist for mothers um so I would write in the midst of mayhem and chaos and so I'd always be slightly distracted the television was always on they were always you know jumping off the furniture or doing whatever and we used to have this rule of you know I'll just continue to write unless there's blood if there's blood I'll stop what I'm doing and tend to it so my boys grew up with that notion um and I don't know whether it's the same for all kids or all boys but Uh, When they were young, they liked to have me in the vicinity, but they didn't need to interact with me so much. Uh, So I could keep a vague idea on what they were doing, making sure they weren't burning down the house or anything, but I could write. So I think I always started writing with that split attention. Uh, Never, ever had the, the luxury of a quiet place. And I suppose that's where my technique developed. And once you seem to develop a technique, it's very hard to change it.
0: Mm. So, when you were in the depths of writing um, a manuscript, like, say, during the 12 to 16 weeks that usually it takes you, uh, how many hours a day, because like your boys are grown up now, so you have a bit yeah. more, yeah. you know, um, control yeah. over your own time. So, what kind of discipline do you have in place? Do you start at a particular time? Do you have a routine? What What does your day look like? And and how, And do well, you have targets? Uh, yeah, look, it's
1: a, the, 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 the routine is kind of spasmodic. Years ago when I was starting in the law, I had an older law student say to me, um, the only advice she could give me about studying law was to only study when I had done everything else I could possibly want to do mm-hmm. and the study would be more effective. So I've always sort of followed that process with writing. I don't, um, I don't, I don't sit down to write if I don't want to. Luckily for me, I still want to all the time. It's the thing I like most doing. Uh, part of the, the hassle is trying to make real life work with that because every now and then you need to stop and feed children or let dogs out or answer the phone or answer the door. Um, but if, if I had my way, you'd probably, I'd, I'd disappear into the book. Um, that doesn't mean that it all just flows easily every time there's some days are better than others so generally when i'm in a full writing thing i write at least a thousand words a day a thousand good words so mm. permanent words a day mm. um and uh, sometimes that takes me two hours and sometimes oh. that takes me all day yeah right um so if i find that if i can begin writing really early doesn't take me long so that must be when I'm most creative really early in the morning but that doesn't always work because people are getting off to work and people are getting off to school and things need to be done and sometimes I don't sit down till 10 or 11 o'clock to start writing and on those days it quite often takes me I'm still writing at midnight wow so
0: but whatever it takes
1: uh, yes um, and so do,
0: but- you, do you do you when you sit down to write do you is that when you turn on the television and choose a show yeah, yeah
1: <laughs> i do <laughs> i turn on the television and i and i look for very specific type of shows uh for some reason there's something about bbc crime shows <laughs> that seems to work in a nice rhythm for me um and i don't know what it is it's mellow colors they don't have a huge amount of car chases and mm-hmm. All of that sort of, or, or gunfights, um, and I seem to be able to um, deal with that really easily. I couldn't watch, I couldn't watch anything that requires a heck of a lot of attention uh, to follow, um, and I certainly, I certainly couldn't watch something like The Bachelor while I was doing. <laughs> So it's, it's very, and everybody's got to find their specific. Everybody's got to find their distraction level. Um, I think all writers work with a, well, a lot of writers work with a distraction level. So I know there's some writers who need a darkened room and sit there and there's nothing but them on the screen. Uh, but there's other writers who listen to music and, you know, they have um, tracks and so on for each mm. book. Um, Etc. And I can't actually listen to music for some reason. Music makes triggers a different part of my brain that makes me makes my mind wander. But I can That's actually
0: extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I
0: know so, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. So, with your author career, you've written fifteen books now. Do you um, aim to write a certain number of books in a certain time period so that you structure your year accordingly? Oh, there's nothing structured about my year. <laughs> okay. It's, I'm I, getting I, this sense, yes, <laughs> about you and your life I kind and your of approach to life. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It just seems to, it just seems, to, I, I think, you know, um, a lot of writers are plagued with guilt, with this feeling that they should always be doing more and always be writing. And I've tried to avoid that notion. Um, and this idea of you know working to a timetable, um, and it, it seems to work for me. I, this, I mean, I've, I've been at this twelve years, and there's been fifteen books published. There's been other books at re- this written, but there's been fifteen published. Um, so I seem to have a reasonable rhythm going forward. Um, I don't, you know, you you can get very caught up in this business of feeling left behind, of feeling that you know, like other books are taking off more, making more sales, getting more reviews and more awards. And you have to actually, I think, for longevity, work at your own rhythm and your own place and letting your your book be what it is as opposed to comparing it constantly uh, with the work of your friends. Mm. Um, so I, I try not to um, get into these notions about, who I want to be as a writer, I get. I think about what I want the novel I'm working on at the time to be, what mm-hmm. ambitions I have for that piece of work, um, and so I,
0: I don't. But I, t- I tend to write,
1: you know, roughly one or two books a year. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and are one. you writing on your next one? Are you, are you writing the next one already?
1: I've just I've just submitted the next one.
0: Oh, uh, okay, Fantastic. and I.
1: And so I was ha- I was having this wonderful conversation with my husband this morning talking about the next one after that. So you've already so, thought of that? I There's again, it's again like the Larry idea. It's an idea. Mm. I have no idea what I can do with it, but there's that idea of where it can start. Um, and really? so hmm. I will just sit down and start writing uh, one of these days. Um in front of and the I, television, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm cautious. Like I'm not starting it now because at the moment I'm doing a lot of interviews and I'm traveling a lot for the festivals and stuff, and I don't want to start when it's going to. I'm going to have to stop every, you know, regularly. So I'm just waiting for a little bit of a lull so I can just get going. Um, and it for me it seems like if I get ten thousand words, the novel then writes itself. I don't wow. really have, have to worry. It just doesn't. It seems to organically create itself. <laughs> and uh, But I need to get those 10,000 words uh, without too much breakup. So I need to be able to sit down and write 10,000 words uh, without, you know, having to stop for five days to go to this festival and stop for three days to go or to turn my mind to something else. Um, so I'm just waiting for a little bit of a lull to push this one off.
0: So, Larry, I understand that you have a writing hut on your property, um which is down in the snowy mountains, and you also have a artist hut, as in a a hut for painting. You are a Renaissance woman. So first of all, tell me about the writing hut. Describe to me what it's like, and um and and what what what's it like inside. So we we live on
1: uh, a truffery or we go tr- uh, there's French back truffles on our house uh, on our property the French back truffles uh, grow on the roots of oak trees so I have in a couple of paddocks away from the house a grove of of oak trees wh- which are quite mature at the moment they' they're beautiful uh, there's uh, English oak trees they're just gorgeous trees in the middle of that uh, hidden so that the in the in the spring and the the autumn and the summer, you cannot even see that it's there. Is a little white hexagonal building. Um, oh, it's actually an octagonal building, and it's um, it's got windows all the way round and a set of doors, um, and it's got a sort of a peaked a peaked roof, um, and it uh, and on the top of that on the top of the writing house is a, a weather vane uh, with a with a dog. Uh, which uh, is a depiction of my old truffle dog, Badger. Uh, inside inside the, the writing house is a, there's a little kerosene heater in, in, in one corner. There's a leather, a green leather chaise lounge, <laughs> uh, because I like to write with my feet up. Uh, there is a beautiful oak bookcase against one wall. Uh, with books in it and there's also a tin there with snacks for me and snacks for the dogs uh, in there Um, and there's a there's a little um, I think it's called a music cabinet but it's it's basically a little cabinet with um, flat slats so that I slide manuscripts in there and another armchair and extra blankets and so on uh, so that I can go in there and and write Um, and if I'm there, nobody knows I'm home because you cannot cannot see that it exists.
0: It uh, sounds so romantic. It sounds absolutely idyllic. So, Dean, uh, tell me about uh, the the painting hut. You are also an artist. So, what do you paint?
1: I I have a preference. Oh, I well, first I wouldn't call myself an artist, but I I do paint. <laughs> but uh, I. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's certainly not a claim I would take to the Archibalds, for example, uh, but I do paint and I have a preference for portraits. I've always been a portrait artist um, and it's it's probably that that made uh, Roland Sinclair so easy to write because I understand the way he looks at the world. Um, so in my, in my studio, uh, there is uh, a wingback chair a green wingback chair. Uh, there's a carpet in the center. There is a cabinet against the walls, which holds all my paints. Uh, there's another little um, cabinet on the other side, which uh, is full of pencils and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a big, two big artists easels uh, up against the windows with canvases against them. And, uh, uh, my uh, my particular uh, work in progress sitting on one or the other. Quite often I have two uh, on the go at the same time. Otherwise, the, the little artist studio is very very similar to the writing studio. It's it's octog- octagonal. It's got windows all the way around except for where the doors are. Um, oh, it's got one flat wall, uh, which is where I put the bookcases or the cabinets, and it's got a lovely little peaked roof
0: and how frequently do you paint? Uh,
1: well, it's quite often actually. I I live in a small country community, um, and I'm the art steward of the Batlow Show. <laughs> so at least once a year before showtime, I will get in and I will paint a lot uh, to make sure that I have enough to contribute to the art show. Uh, but then periodically through the year, I will I will get the feeling or and I will need to paint. I find that because it's sort of um, using a different part of your brain, it loosens up my brain. If I've been writing intensely for a while, uh, painting for a while actually just lets everything get back into balance and shake back into the place that it is. It's a bit like unclenching your mind. Uh, So uh, I go in and paint for a while and, um, and and I paint very similarly to the way I write, I don't really plan anything. I just go in there and throw paint onto the canvas.
0: Brilliant. Well, the woman in the library, absolutely so clever, so well-written. Now let's end with what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where you are one day?
1: Okay, top two.
0: Uh, One... um, the vast majority
1: of our time as writers is not spent doing wonderful interviews or uh, writers at writers' festivals. The vast majority of our time is lonely hours with the story. And uh, well, I say lonely, but probably not lonely, alone with the story. You're never lonely as a writer because you've got people in your head. Uh, but um, so you've got to find a way of writing that you can live with, that you can sustain, that gives you joy in and of itself. You can't control sales. You can't control publishers. You can't control what readers will think or reviewers. You can't control awards. That's all, you know, up to, the, up to fate, really, for a book. What you can control is whether you're getting joy from the act of writing. And if you can find a way to write that just gives you joy in and of itself, then you're ahead of the game. And for a career in writing as opposed to just getting one book out, I think that is kind of necessary. Otherwise, you're letting yourself in for a lot of suffering. <laughs> so that's, 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 that's my first tip. The second tip um, I would suggest is to try and work out what is it, what it is about your writing that you love, that you think is distinct, that makes your work unique. Uh, take advice on everything else, but fight for that um and thirdly um i would suggest you the the thing that i have found that is really special about being a writer is the writing community is making connection with writers uh loving their books supporting them that whole sense of solidarity and community that you get in the writing industry Uh, writers are not in competition with each other nobody just reads one book Mm. Um, and, and quite often, you know, people, people will see you with one writer and if they love that writer, they'll read your book because, just because you're in the vicinity. Um, so take the opportunity to build that community, uh, to be a part of it because I think, you know, much more than every other reward that comes with writing, that is uh, a pretty special thing
0: wonderful and on that note congratulations on the woman in the library so thrilled for you everyone you need to get yourself a copy thank you so much for your time today Solari oh thank you so much for having me Valerie it was pleasure to talk to you I hope you enjoyed my chat with Solari and I did ask her for photos of her writing hut and I've put that on our blog. So you'll find the link in the show notes and you can have a look at what her gorgeous writing hut looks like. Now, I saw a meme recently that compared using the phrase by accident with on accident. I had never actually heard anyone say on accident, so I thought it was worth researching and I found out that people yes, really do say on accident. However, it's only common in US spoken English and is generally only said by people born after 1995. (laughs) There's a great post by Grammar Girl on her website, quickanddirtytips.com, and she goes into the research and theories about why the change started. Possibly it's a parallel of on purpose. And while On accident is still fairly infrequent. Its usage is increasing, which could mean we'll all be saying it in the future. I'm not sure if I can bring myself to say it, but there you go. By accident versus on accident. Alrighty, this brings us to the end of this week's episode. I would love to connect with you on social media. Please join our Facebook group for our listener community. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and uh, request to join. I'd love to see you in there. Feel free to connect with me on social media, also on Twitter at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O. That's the same on Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time.